Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by Amir Ture and Derek Wong. Tonight we are talking about the other fantasy series that everyone is watching. Well, more people are watching because everyone I know is watching House of the Dragon, and anytime I ask anyone about Rings of Power, everyone's like, I'm not watching that, or I don't even know what that is, which is kind of a wild thing to say because Rings of Power costs so much more money. One billion dollars. Yeah, close. $750 million. Uh, We talked about that in the Rings of Power episode. Yeah, but here we are with House of the Dragon, the prequel to Game of Thrones. I feel like we've already been talking about the show for like forever, but this is actually going to be our first proper episode on it. I think it's a good time to jump in and discuss the series in depth. We're seven episodes in. We've got the first time jump ramping up to the finale. I think it's a good time to catch up on the show and just talk about what's been happening, talk about our thoughts on it. Yeah, so what do you guys think of House of the Dragon so far? So, uh, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. I don't think we've actually talked about Game of Thrones on the show explicitly. I'm sure we've mentioned it here and there, but yeah, I don't think we've done an episode or anything. I read all the books. I love Game of Thrones, the predecessor series to this. So, I was very well primed to enjoy this one, but I was also a little bit wary because of the way um, Game of Thrones ended. And... Also, because I wasn't particularly excited about the idea of this story about the Targaryens. So, just like uh, Game of Thrones is based on A Song of Ice and Fire, a fantasy series, which is currently five out of seven projected books, House of the Dragon is based on books by George R. R. Martin, the same author. Those books detail the prehistory before Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire, specifically the rise of the Targaryen dynasty, who are like the monarchy that are overthrown in like the 30 years before Game of Thrones starts. But it's only one book, right? It's only Fire and Blood. Yeah. So at first it was a novella called The Princess and the Queen. And then he expanded it in Fire and Blood, which is like a history of all the Targaryen monarchs. So mm-hmm. I read the novella. And I'll be honest, I didn't really like it that much. So the novella is The Princess and the Queen. So I'm assuming that's Rhaenyra and... Uh... Alicent, is that yes, what that's, that's referring to? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rhaenyra's the princess and Alicent's the queen. Didn't find it super compelling. It's not written the same way that Game of Thrones is. If you've never read the uh, A Song of Ice and Fire books, they're written in this like uh, third-person limited format where you're in the head of each of the characters. So each character will have a chapter to themselves. You know, the chapter will be like Arya 1, and it'll just be all about everything from Arya's perspective. The POV and then chapters. And Jamie 1 yeah. or whatever. Yeah, these point of view chapters, exactly. Fire and Blood, Princess and the Queen is not like that. They're um, written in the style of histories being written by somebody in the world, diegetically. So the, the idea is that Fire and Blood is like a, a history of the Targaryen monarchs being written by someone in the world who's compiling this history. So it's kind of written as a historical tome, and there's interjections like, well, we don't actually really know the nature of the relationship between, I don't know, Damon and Rhaenyra, for example. Like, that's something that you might read in Fire and Blood. Or like, we don't quite know the nature of this, or we don't really know exactly how this went down, because it's a historian talking about it from years in the future. And so I just didn't like this format as much as I liked the previous format of A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, I didn't find it as compelling. I thought it was sort of dry. The characters didn't really stick out to me. It was a lot of people with just like Targaryen names that all sounded the same. They all kind of blended together. 
I just didn't really find it super compelling. So on the one hand, big Game of Thrones fan. On the other hand, I didn't really love the source material very much. And in fact, I read it years ago and I didn't really remember very much of it. So it really just didn't stick with me. I was kind of on the fence about this and uh, it's really blown me away. I think House of the Dragon has been amazing. So um, that's a very long prelude to say I think the show has been really, really good. I'm actually curious. So do you know when he wrote Song of Ice and is it Song of Ice and Fire? Mm, yeah. When he wrote that in comparison to the other Game of Thrones books? So Song of Ice and Fire, uh, you think he started writing them in 96, I believe? Yeah, and he started writing them in 96. And at first they came out pretty quickly. So they came out, uh, I think, 96, 98, and 2000 or something like that uh, for the first three. And then the fourth one was 2005. The fifth was 2011. And we're still waiting for books six and seven. And then what about Fire and Blood? Right. So Fire and Blood came out- uh, 2018. 2018. Yeah. So way later. Oh, okay. He was busy writing Fire and Blood and not the last two books of (laughs) (laughs) A Song of Ice and Fire. So Yeah. In fact, I didn't know this. I'm just reading this now, looking at Wikipedia. Apparently, even Fire and Blood is unfinished. Apparently, it's the first part of- uh, the history of the Targaryens. So Man, this guy's gonna croak before he finishes any of them. Oh come on, that's mean. <laughs> <laughs> that's not nice. <laughs> I mean, he's getting old. Does he also have a son that could compile all his writings? <laughs> <laughs> that is a common fantasy thing, right? Um, Christopher Tolkien, Frank Herbert's son as well, right? But to give my two cents about what I think about House of the Dragon so far. I, like you, Amir, I was a big fan of the original Game of Thrones series, except maybe the last two, three seasons, which, of course, I went along for the ride, but I honestly, I think it was a a tale of diminishing returns when it came to that series for me. You know, by the end, I was pretty frustrated with that final season. I haven't rewatched the final season. I actually haven't really rewatched the last couple seasons versus I remember, like, I think the first season I've seen like three times already. Maybe like seasons two, three, and four, I've watched at least like two times over. But I think from that point, it dwindled, you know, how much I watched the season. I think I definitely the last couple of seasons, I only watched the one run through of them. But like you, I am loving House of the Dragon. I did not think that I would be so taken in by this series again, by this property. You know, I, I was very, very hesitant and very worried you know coming into this thinking like oh man how can this be as good as like the first season the first couple seasons of game of thrones i thought this was going to be like on par with maybe the last couple seasons and i was already ready to accept that but i've been pleasantly surprised that i think this is maybe not better but as as good as some of the more solid seasons of game of thrones so far as of this recording we still have like three episodes left I think we'll get into it, but I think one of the things I like about it is that it feels so much like Game of Thrones, you know, like with the world, with the place setting, with the names of the houses and everything, it draws you back in. But the way it tells its story, the scope of it is so different compared to Game of Thrones that it feels like a different series. And I think it's better for that in the long run. Um, We'll see if it can keep that up, but I've been loving it so far. 
Yeah, I know it's important to you, Derek. So, like, I'm sure you like this show because everyone's so nice and kind to each other. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone's sunshine and rainbows, you know? <laughs> you know, uh, if you think about it, there hasn't been too much betrayal yet. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's been pretty tame. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. There's been that. some, but uh, we'll see. We'll see by the end of season if it lives up to the, the Baylor of season one, right? Yeah, I guess maybe I'm the one who got burned by Game of Thrones the worst here. I fucking hated the last season. Although, I feel like season five and six get too much hate. I thought those were largely fine, even though like the fissures in the show were starting to appear you know like teleporting characters you could tell that they've ran out of runway from the george R. R. martin books and that they were flying by the seat of their pants but i think they kept the illusion up pretty good leading up to the final season even though like something started to get shaky but boy is that last season very very bad i think the direction that they wanted to go in is very good i like the story developments i think there are people who hate that daenerys had a heel turn i'm not one of those people i think that development is probably what george R. R. martin intended right because that's what dnd benioff and weiss i feel like that's what they were quizzed on by george R. R. martin or at least he clued them in onto what he had in mind for the ending It's just the execution of that heel turn in the final six episodes. That final season, just having six episodes, is like, that's a huge red flag in and by itself, right? Like, how do you wrap up that story in just six episodes? I don't know. So I was very, very hesitant going into House of the Dragon because I'd already sworn off Game of Thrones. I'm like, I'm never watching another Game of Thrones thing in my life. But I gave it a shot. I gave it the benefit of the doubt. New showrunner. Uh, Ryan Condal and Miguel Sapochnik, although Miguel Sapochnik left, I think, after episode three. I think he was a little just burned out after working on Game of Thrones for so long um, and then now doing this show. But yeah, like you guys, I'm totally taken in by this show. I think it's the superior fantasy show on TV right now. Everything just feels more lived in. The show's full of sickos and weirdos, which I fucking love. Backstabbing, murder... It's just more interesting than Rings of Power. I don't want to keep comparing the two, but it's an easy comparison to make. You know, um, I think just everything's more interesting. Everything has just has more texture. It's more fleshed out. I'm loving this show so far. I think it's safe to, like, not recap too many of the episodes in this episode of the podcast because I feel like everyone's watching this show. Everyone knows what we're talking about. Everyone's caught up. We'll fill in some context so I guess newbies aren't completely lost. I don't want to skip ahead too much, but I thought this last episode, episode seven, was fantastic. Even the lighting? Uh, Not the lighting. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like opinions are going to be split on that. I don't think everybody hated the lighting. Did you not hate the lighting? No, I could see. I don't know. (laughs) I guess I'm old, I'm blind, and that was very frustrating to me. I could not stop making fun of how fucking dark that episode. I mean, we didn't nip it here. It wasn't that dark to me. I don't know. Maybe your TV is set correctly. Maybe mine isn't, but yeah. I don't know. And and, and like, I feel like not everybody couldn't see, right? Like, I feel like it is something that was pretty split. I don't know. I think everyone has differently calibrated TVs, but I couldn't see jack shit. Okay, so it's two to one on that one. But the thing is, that shouldn't be the case, right? Because 
it's not like they shot at night. These were day for night shots. No, yeah, all, yeah, they were. Right? So, I mean, if you're taking an example from the movies that did it correctly, if you watch Nope, um, we talked about right. this yeah, yeah, yeah. during the episode. That shit looks incredible. So, I don't know what happened here. I guess some people had their brightness calibrated more for dark scenes. You probably had your TV calibrated more for brightness, Amir. I don't know. I but don't know, I could not man. see anything during the night scenes. Which weren't that long, and a lot of it was dialogue, so it ended up being fine. It didn't really detract from the experience or how much I loved the episode, but... Yes. Was the Northman day for night? Probably, because it had a lot of the blue filters. Yes, that same kind of... Yeah. I want to say, like, the scene where he's at the shrine with, like, the white, I think that was probably day for night. I haven't seen the Northman since... Uh, we did the episode, so I have to go back and watch. But yeah, fair enough. I mean, without getting too much into like episode seven just yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did want to talk a little bit about overall, like some of the differences that I'm liking, like what I guess the showrunners and the writers have done very differently in this series than any Game of Thrones series is the inclusion of time jumps. And it's much bigger than just the mid-season time jump, right? The 10-year time jump of recasting two major characters are basically our two leads of the season. Like, even the pacing of the show will jump a year, six months, three years or whatever at a time. I think it's super refreshing to kind of be able to see this show or see this world in a way lived in more than I think sometimes Game of Thrones was. I know some of the criticisms of the original Game of Thrones was the lack of awareness of time. Sometimes character be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go here. And then like a scene later, they were there. Well, how much time has passed, right? Versus this year's like very specific thing, the jump between like episodes one and two was six months, the jump between episodes Two and three was like three years. The episode between like four and five was like 10 years. I like this idea that we're kind of getting to see the evolution of these characters through years versus what, I mean, to be completely honest, I can't even tell you how long Game of Thrones was. The time span of like when we left, you know, Winterfell to when Daenerys dies, I actually don't know how many years that is. I can't say I do, but it also doesn't bother me that much. I Mm -hmm. mean... I don't know. I really don't know. A couple of years seems reasonable. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think know. Game of Thrones is a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, less than a year a season, but like enough for Rickon to go from like a little kid to like... Dead on a field. No. <laughs> a giant teenager, right? Like, it is quite a while, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, when I watched Game of Thrones, it like it wasn't so present because it felt like this is happening... Almost in real time, even though like the show takes place. I mean, the production of the show was like almost 10 years, but I don't feel like this was 10 years of story. You know what I mean? But it still felt like we were kind of moving with the pace of the show versus I think what's the difference between this show and that is there is an importance with time here, like showing the difference between Game of Thrones was like people could die at any minute and people's reigns like lasted three four years right you know what i mean like it felt like this kind of urgency or this threat level where any moment someone else could take over someone could be king and people were vying for power versus what i really like about this long stretch story like of king viserys's reign is that unlike game of thrones we're seeing like the reign of a king that's spanning 15 20 years right 
Um, because I think at the beginning of the season, he already says like he's already been king for like nine years. And, you know, we see a 10 year time jump. It's really interesting to me to see that difference between Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon, where it is such a long span of time. Where the time jumps are compelling to me are where they impose constraints on the showrunners. That's kind of where the time jumps are interesting to me. So the fact that they are doing these huge time jumps means we had to switch our cast halfway through this season, this first season, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we started out with um, our principals all being, I mean, I guess the two main mains, uh, I would consider Allison and Rhaenyra are like young teenagers, 13 or 14, something like that at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And we've moved through more than a decade now, right? So we're going to get to the point where probably they're in their 30s or 40s or something like that, right? So, like, you absolutely have to switch actors there. And then, mm -hmm. I mean, some characters went through three different actors, right? Tiny yeah, yeah. child or, like, preteen. Like the different Valerian children. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Well, like, Lena, for example, went from, like, 12-year-old potential consort for King Viserys to, like, an older teen flirting with Damon to, like, I don't know, a young woman in, like, maybe her mid-20s or something like that. that it looks like, right? Yeah. At the point where she finally passed away. So, it, like, three actors for one character in the space of, like... Seven episodes? Under seven episodes, you know? It's a lot. And I think it's worked out way better than I could have hoped. Like, it sounds very jarring when you put it that way, that there's so many different switches. But um, I think they've carried it off, honestly, without a hitch. Yeah. Especially because, I don't know about you guys, but I grew attached to that first set of actresses. Millie Alcott and Emily Carey, yeah. Like, you grew attached to them because I think they did a tremendous job as those young characters. And so mm -hmm. I was a little bit anxious about the switch. I was like, I don't know if they're going to be able to pull it off. Are the main actresses who we're going to be with for the rest of the series, presumably, are they going to be able to carry it off as well? And I think they did. Yeah. I think the transition was pretty seamless. To give a little bit of like behind the scenes of like us making this podcast, you know, we talked about like when we wanted to do this episode, like when we wanted to actually talk about like House of Dragons, right? Like we could have done it earlier. We could have could maybe potentially have waited to like the end of the season. But like, I think this was a good time because it already we've had the switch, right? And we've had been able to kind of live with these two new actresses for two episodes and i was worried after the first episode i was like oh man i don't know if i really like these actresses just yet but i was definitely won over by this episode by episode seven right the latest episode where i mean just to talk about episode seven like i guess i wasn't ready for actually how much was going to happen this past episode like a lot happens you know the conflict between Allison and Rhaenyra. Belows are definitely feel like they're happening soon. And like even the rift between the kids are at a high point. And like I really enjoyed this last episode uh, immensely. I think I would have liked a second actor for Damon just because it's Matt Smith all the way through, which is kind of nope. weird to me. <laughs> <laughs> they did a great job making Viserys look more and more decrepit every episode. Yes. So I'm sure they'll figure something out with Damon too. Just Viserys. Just keep him looking. Oh yeah, no, the Viserys thing is a hilarious running gag. Everyone stays the same with <laughs> yeah, Viserys. Everyone just, stays the same except for Viserys. Becomes the fucking looks... Crypt Keeper. Yep. Yep. Is it between episode five and six where he just loses an arm? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It is. Yeah. You just come back to him he just doesn't have a left arm. <laughs> and yeah. It, it's insane. I think uh, behind the scenes, they say he has leprosy or whatever. Yeah, that's what people have been saying. Yeah, that he's got leprosy. I want to give Patty Considine his laurels 
because he is fucking incredible as Viserys. He's so good. Yes. I think he threads that needle perfectly where, you know, I feel like Game of Thrones with kings, you have like these utterly inept losers or they're cruel and just fucking tyrants or they're like, you know, benevolent rulers or whatever. He's like really none of those things. I think he's trying his best. Okay, I want to ask you guys something. Is he a good king? No, is dude, there's no a way. Good king? <laughs> no, no. Viserys is a bad king. But yeah. the interesting thing is that he wants to be a good king and he yeah. knows he's failing, but he can't do any better. That's the really interesting thing about him. Like because he has that whole scene where he talks to his advisor. Uh Yeah, Harwin's father. Harwin's father. Uh yes, mm-hmm. he's talking to Harwin's father. Who always gives him straight advice. And he asks him, like, hey, how am I going to be remembered in the histories? And he's like, oh, don't worry about it, bro. It's fine. <laughs> like, he, he definitely is like, oh, you're a terrible king, but you're also a nice dude. So I feel bad just shitting on you. I mean, he's not a good king. And I'll tell you why he's not a good king. He, you know, this sucks to say, but he's not a good king because he, you know, he tries to keep too many people happy. Yeah. And so he's, like, not ruthless enough, right? Like, I mean, even characters even say it in the show. Damon even says he's weak, right? He doesn't just make the hard decision and say, okay, uh, Rhaenyra is my heir, and, like, that's it. And, like, you know, he no Aegon, no whatever, right? Yeah. Like, he either needs to say, okay, sorry, Rhaenyra, like, I had a son. Westeros isn't going to accept your claim anymore, and you're no longer my heir, right? Which is what mm-hmm. she was afraid he was going to do. Yeah. Like, if he just did that, you don't get this whole problem. If he had made, like, any of the hard decisions that he needed to make, none of this drama or, like, backstabbing or any of this infighting would even happen, right? Mm -hmm. With Rhaenyra's behavior, letting so much slide, right? As opposed to being like, uh, those are clearly not your children. What the fuck is going on? Yeah, he should have married a 12-year-old child. Oh, you know I, mean? I don't want all that. Okay, Derek. All right. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about poor decisions he's done through the season. Like, looking back at it, we all cringe. Like, I cringe so heavily that episode when, uh, uh, what's his name? Coralus brings up the fact, like, hey, marry my daughter, who's 12, uh, and we'll unite our houses. And I'm just like, and, you know, the scene where they're walking down the garden, I'm yep. like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. like, I can't even take this right now. Like, I thought incest was bad in game of thrones but like if you think about it though it might have been the right choice right like he Maybe. should i mean have married allison he's sh- you know like it unites him with the valerians which yes but it also kind of great houses, the can right? down the road like if he has a son with her you still run into the same succession problem i mean i guess the only plus is that you've taken the valerians out of rhaenyra's camp yeah Mm-hmm. So she doesn't have him so much support. But you still are left in a situation where if you have a son with your second wife, your eldest child, your daughter, stands to be disinherited just on the basis of the like misogyny inherent in the world uh, that we're seeing. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Which is pretty misogynistic. I feel like – I don't know if this is entirely true, but I feel like there are a lot of ancient kingdoms which had the odd queen or empress here or there, right? Egypt, Rome. It feels weird that the – Westerosi would be like, nah, never, son, none. No women have to fuck that. <laughs> like, He-Man Woman Haters Club. Like, it's very, it's pretty extreme. I don't know. I do think it's easier for him to turn a blind eye to Rhaenyra's children in the books because they're white, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, dude, for sure. Where, yeah, so in the books, the Valerians are white, 
right? And now they're white um, blondes. They look just like the Targaryens, yeah. right? Right. And that makes the whole like, oh, we're all the blood of old Valeria thing kind of make a little more sense. But mm-hmm. I mean, changing the Valerians to black was an intentional decision by the showrunners, in part to play up Viserys's willful. Like, like blindness. blindness yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like they did that to make it clear. Like it's not a mystery that these are not her kids. Like it's clear to everybody around. You don't need Ned's Punnett Square to figure that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is not this is not a tough one, right? Um yeah. and I think it's awesome. Like I was skeptical of them changing the race of the Valerians at first. I was like, oh, all right, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? And I think it worked out really, really well. I think it's been yeah. amazing. It's honestly one of my favorite changes. So you guys are reading the fact that they're white as the indication of the father, right? Like that's how people could tell. Well, their father's black, dude. No, okay. I understand that. But like, I think the show is actually trying to draw the line with the hair. Well, yeah, that's definitely part of it, right? So they go, oh, like they have a common look, right? So they don't have either Mm -hmm. Targaryen or Valerian hair. Yeah. But they also don't have the skin color either. I think it's really obvious, right? It's not just- It is. Like, in the books, it was just that they were brunettes and, like, didn't look like their dad, mm. right? Uh, I see. That is something that I think, if you've watched Game of Thrones, instantly you're going to remember that, right? Like, the hair color thing? Yeah, the hair of brown or whatever. When he, right. Yeah, when Ned does his little investigation or whatever, like, right. you know, uh, Jeff was kind of um, alluding to. But, yeah, like, it is obvious. But, like, for me, as, like, a Game of Thrones fan, like, instantly it was, like, the brown hair that oh, really, it was the hair. Like, Interesting. Yeah, that tipped me off. Huh. More than the skin More color. More than the skin color. That's interesting. Because I don't see... No, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> don't see race. <laughs> don't see race. You and your fantasy. I like that. Can't tell the difference between an elf and a dwarf, this guy. It's good. I, I don't know. I think it's such a smart change. Um, mm-hmm. And you get some awesome actors and actresses in the bargain. So I think it's been really cool to see some black actors on a, on a Game of Thrones show. Can I ask you guys, do we meet any Valerians in Game of Thrones? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. I was just kind of like trying to remember. Like my recollection was by the time we get to the Game of Thrones, they were basically extinct, right? Like there are no Valerians left, right? Like I think in the books there are some, mm-hmm. but like they're not black and they're not very prominent. Mm-hmm. I think you really have to look to be like, there's someone from this house which mentioned once in this chapter or whatever. Yeah, but I think it's funny because Allison's like, uh, I mean, like, one kid is fine, but three, come on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. Which is very, very funny. I mean, the show's great. It's just so much fun watching all these characters interact. I love watching Damon and his schemes. It's fucking fantastic. Matt Smith is doing a good job. His schemes, but also his just off-the-wall bonkers. Yeah. You don't know what the hell he's going to do next. Like, he's not uh-huh. just, like, scheming and plotting. Sometimes he just acts on instincts and just does shit. And you're like, yeah, what are you doing, man? Yeah, he's wild. He's a very entertaining character. And I really like what Matt Smith is doing with him. What I love about that character and what I love about Matt Smith's performance, and, like, it's been brought up a lot, I think, you know, with the episode where he, like, kills the crab feeder. And then I, I think there's so many times where, like, they rely mostly on this kind of silent Matt Smith with his just deathly glare. I mean, they use it a lot in this past episode. They used it a lot, like in that, like I said, in the crab feeder episode, where like he doesn't say barely any two words. Pretty much lasts like twenty minutes of that episode. When Jeff's like, "I wish they would get an older actor for Damon," I'm like, "Absolutely not!" Like I love Matt Smith, and 
I'm a big Matt Smith stan. I'm not saying they need an older Matt Smith. I'm saying that they probably needed like a younger one for like episode one or something. You know what mm. I mean? Mm. Just so that you have a little bit of continuity where like you don't have such a big difference between, you know, some characters going through three different actors across two decades and then Matt Smith is just Matt Smith the whole time. He's just a weird looking dude. Maybe he's just that weird looking the whole time. So yeah, I read this tweet where it's like Matt Smith is like perfect for Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon because he's very handsome, but also handsome in a way that you can't rule out inbreeding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. (laughs) Which is very, very true. The incest stuff is very, very fucking... I think they play it for laughs because like all the memes and stuff after all the episodes, every episode with like Damon and Rhaenyra and like Viserys like just giving them the death glare is fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It happens multiple times, and it's so funny where they're just getting a little too cozy with each other, which I think is very, very funny. <laughs> so this show and the lore of this world implies that the bringing together of two Targaryens is like a, a tradition? Yeah, it's a very normal thing for Targaryens to marry their siblings. So... Is Viserys against them being together because Demons already has a wife? Is that the issue? Or is it that, I mean, I guess it's his daughter also, which is His daughter like, and his brother. I don't know if that is necessarily. I think he just doesn't like that particular match. Also, I mean, this is also a, a guy who also didn't marry his sisters or anything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it like a personal quirk of his or I don't know. I'm not sure. That's a good question. What about, like, the queer subtexts in this show? Specifically between Alicent and Rhaenyra. I saw it more, of course, with the younger actresses. Like, I think it was really present, like, the very first two episodes. I think it it kind of leans away a little bit more away because especially their characters are at odds. By you yeah, know, by the I mean, time they're they older, hate each other, right? <laughs> but it was very obvious in the first two episodes. Yeah, Which I think that's another very interesting layer to their conflict mm-hmm. later on. Like, there's some frustrated, lost crush there or something, and it doesn't come from the books. I don't think. I think that's just how the actresses kind of decided to play it, and I think it works really well. Mm-hmm. Then there's also Sir Kristen Cole. Speaking of frustrated romance, I fucking love Sir Kristen Cole because everyone's like, oh, Sir Kristen Cole, he's so fucking hot. I love him. He's so nice. And then like by episode five, you're like, bro, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Hate the dude. What yeah. a piece of shit, right? Yeah. He's the worst. The spurned lover and she's like, oh, now he's like over near that fucking cunt or whatever. It's so fucking <laughs> funny. <laughs> People online are like calling him like a bitter incel and shit. <laughs> I really like him as a character. Like, not as a dude. Obviously, he's awful. But like as a character, I think he's tremendous. Like he's such a real human being. Yeah. I don't know. When he's heartbroken and like he proposes to Rhaenyra to run away with him and she's like, oh, no. Like what? <laughs> it's really pretty crushing. He's like cursing. He's like, oh, I gave up my fucking honor. That was all I had, right? Like it. Mm-hmm. it I don't know. It hurts. It yeah, hurts to see that. For him. Yeah, he's a human being. Like, and like, like you get why all of his like former like love and admiration is curdled into just this bitterness. Yeah, and, and like psychopathic dependence on Allison too, right? Like in this last episode, he's so devoted to Allison that like if there weren't so many people in the room, he was definitely going to pluck out that child's eye, right? Yeah, yeah. Like he's completely psychotic. Like he's so he, he's so over the line. He plays that like unhinged characteristic so well. Just because of, like, what he did to Joffrey, like, Laenor's lover or whatever. And uh, was that episode five or four, I think, right? Where Joffrey's like, hey, I know we both love people who we're not supposed to be with. 
Let's protect each other's secrets. Let's watch each other's backs. And then he fucking caves his skull <laughs> yeah. in. That whole scene is incredible, by the way, because, like, you're just caught up in the chaos. You're caught up in, like, the incest between fucking Damon and Rhaenyra <laughs> that you don't even know what else is going on. And, like, you're totally with the perspective of Viserys, where he's like, what in the seven hells is going on? Because, like, there's all this commotion and you can't see and, like, there are people fighting. You don't know who's fighting who. And that's just a great fucking sequence of this chaos building. And uh, you find out that uh, Joffrey and Sir Kristen Cole are like going at it, you know? Yeah, and it's really interesting, I think, playing on this idea of like what are expectations of a, a wedding that takes place in the Game of Thrones universe, right? Yeah. Somebody's got to die. Well, it's also <laughs> like you're almost waiting for like the shoe to drop on like one of our main characters. Like it's always seems to be like the Starks get eliminated, you know, at the Red Wedding. Joffrey dies at the Purple Wedding, right? Like you expect it to be like maybe one of our key players and then for the action then to kind of take place off to the side and like not even able to really see what happens. Like where we get there in the almost the aftermath of it all, right? His face is pretty much already bashed in. So like it's really interesting to kind of play against at least what I was kind of expecting or like maybe like, haha, is this another wedding that we're gonna to have in the Game of Thrones universe? And yes, someone does die, but it's kind of what I wasn't really expecting. Still a shit wedding though. <laughs> Still fucking crazy. Face mutilation on this season is uh, at a different level. Leno uh- <laughs> <laughs> is like sobbing over his dead lover while he's being like forcibly married to right here. It's insane. Yeah. Like while he's like sobbing through his vows, it's fucking ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah. Insane. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, we got one dude's face get bashed in. We got a kid who gets his eye slashed out. That shit was gnarly this last episode. But I do love how badass he is when he says, I lost an eye, but I gained a fucking dragon and I think it's worth it. And I was like, all right. All right, this kid knows where the real gold is at, so I thought that was pretty badass. Eamon's going to be another demon, I think. <laughs> like he's <laughs> another little psycho. But yeah. speaking of which, I feel like everybody who's like talking about the show is Team Rhaenyra. Anyone on the greens here? Any of you guys want to fess up? Anyone guys want to fess up as being I a- think right now it's hard to root for Alicent. I think the scales are tipped in Rhaenyra's favor in terms of how she's coming off, especially what she did for Lenor, um, which I do want to talk about. Yeah, she initially already has your sympathy because she's fighting against the patriarchal like assumptions of Westerosi society, yeah. right? So you're kind of already on Rhaenyra's side. I don't know, she's kind of cooler than Alicent. She's like a dragon rider. She kind of flouts convention, sort of does what she wants. Alicent is sort of... Uh, a little boring, a little conventional compared to her. Yeah. So I think Rhaenyra is already more appealing, right? And then there's a thing you wanted to talk about, Jeff. Well, also, like, in episode six, Rhaenyra was, like, trying to appeal to Alicent's better nature, right? She had a perfect solution for their little feud. It's like, oh, let's marry the kids in our, our families, kids, right? right? And unite yeah, yeah, so, like, we can just put all this shit behind them. And then yeah. Alicent's like, no, I want to stay mad, you know? So, like, you're yeah. like, okay, whatever. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> um, and so... In episode seven, what happened with Lenor is very different from what happens in the books. So it's implied in the books that Damon has Sir Carl murder Lenor so Rhaenyra can marry Damon. And Lenor actually dies in the books. But here, they have him fake his death so that he can escape across the sea with Sir Carl. So I think we talked about this offline, Amir. I think. 
what happens is that you're tipping your favor towards Rhaenyra even more and kind of making this conflict like one-sided. But it's also a very touching subversion of the barrier gaze trope because I feel like they also had in mind that like they just killed Joffrey like two episodes ago and to kill Laenor would be a little too cruel and a little adhering to the trope, right? Mm -hmm. This was a very elegant solution to that. And I was actually kind of moved by it because I think you don't expect that from someone like Damon to have, you know, empathy or sympathy for someone like Lenor. You almost don't expect it from the show as a whole. A little yeah, from the show as a whole, like exactly. That, yeah. Right? Like, you expect Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon to deliver these cruel twists. And here was like a nice little happy ending for somebody. Yeah. I mean, I do feel bad for uh, <laughs> Corliss and his wife. <laughs> Who now think both of their kids are dead. Both their kids <laughs> but, are dead, yeah. Oh, I, I feel know. bad for the random server who gets murdered. <laughs> I know. This was a great rug pull because I think they were really leaning into your standard Game of Thrones House of the Dragon cruel twist. You know, where right before this whole ruse, Lena comes to Rhaenyra and he's like, you know, I've been pretty selfish. I've been going out like with all these guys and stuff, but I'm ready to, like, <laughs> commit to you. I'm ready to put what I want beside myself and commit to raising our children and being the best father and husband I can. And then she goes and plots his, like, murder with Damon, right? Mm -hmm. Which I thought was really going to, like, lean into the cruelty of the show. And for them to subvert that was very, very smart, and I really actually liked that. It was really mm -hmm. nice moment. Yeah, with that addition that that nice little uh, House of the Dragon gave us, it's, it's even harder to really be Team Allison, right? Rhaenyra's really yeah. – seems like she's got all the support right now. I don't know. To an extent, that's okay, right? I mean, it's not like in the Stark versus Lannister conflict that there were a lot of people who like were giant Lannister stands. Although, I don't know. Those are yeah. pretty compelling characters. But I think most people would have said they were on the side of the Starks, right? Yeah. I think it's okay to have an asymmetric conflict. A hero. In terms of popularity. I mean, I think the show has been good. And I think we've given examples of like trying to not be Game of Thrones, right? Like trying to maybe subvert some of our expectations. One of my expectations a lot of times when it came to Game of Thrones was like, you know, the quote unquote good people in this world did not live very long, right? And like positioning Rhaenyra to be the good to Allison's bad maybe doesn't bode well for Rhaenyra. Maybe. Okay, I'm going to say two things. One, I don't think it's super true that just good people get screwed and bad people live on Game of Thrones. I think that's a bit of an over-exaggeration that people got into their heads because of, like, Ned Stark. I don't mm -hmm. think that's really that true. Save all that for a Game of Thrones episode. The second thing, I don't know if Rhaenyra is good to Allison's bad. We still do see her, like, I do a lot of, like, I think this last episode positions it that way, though. I think she's fun to Allison's not fun, or like likable to Allison's not likable. I don't know if she's good to Allison's evil, exactly. We see an episode where she tells Laris that she wants her father back, and she doesn't specifically say like, hey, go kill your brother and your father, but it happens. And yes, she seems disgusted by it, but yet she still by the end of episode 7 clings to Laris, right? Versus the subversion that we see with Rhaenyra being the person that doesn't make that choice, right? Who makes the conscious choice to not kill Lenor and to give him an out of this situation. Like, I think the show is positioning her to be the good versus her bad. Yeah, but she still killed some innocent servant for that purpose, right? Um, yeah. For the husband that she loves. So I think there's some gray area there. And mm -hmm. I 
think the whole point of the show is that everyone's a fucked up sick weirdo. And I do think that the show needs to balance out the scales a little bit. I don't know. I feel like if you keep propping up Rhaenyra and keep tearing down Allison, it's not that fun, right? Mm-hmm. I think you need a little bit of gray area on both. And Allison's really coming off as a little too unhinged. I think they need to rein her back a little bit. And then they kind of have to do something with how they're painting Rhaenyra too. But that doesn't affect how much I like this development in episode seven. And I think the escalation in that episode is just fucking ridiculous. At first, I thought we were getting like a little slower episode, you know, like the first 15, 20 minutes were that funeral, you know? Yeah. And the kids are fighting. The fucking uh, Aemon's riding the dragon. Dude, the whole scene where everything comes to a head and like they're all accusing each other of shit and Allison's demanding uh, Lucerus to get his eye taken out too. That shit was crazy. I was like on the edge of my seat. That's such, like, good writing, I feel. It's peak Game of Thrones stuff, I think. I really do think it's as good at its best as, like, the more solid Game of Thrones seasons. To be fair, I do think Viserys did okay in that uh, scene. Yeah. Asserting his power as king. Allison was really gonna, like, overstep her fucking shit. But, like, Viserys, you're the king. Fucking do something, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Allison's like, if you're not going to use the king's power, I'm going to use my queen's power. Like, Sir Kristen, bring me his eye. Or whatever. It's like, oh, shit. I definitely thought he was going to do it. Because Sir Kristen looked like he was ready, too. Uh, oh, he, he was, was like, I aim to please ready. or some shit. <laughs> he was absolutely ready. I did like that. Well, I don't know if I actually liked it. But I thought it was funny that um, Damon and Rhaenyra got married before, like, quote-unquote, Laner's body was even cold. <laughs> I mean, like, throw off other people's suspicion just a little, maybe. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> they're, like, fishing him out of the fireplace and they're getting married on the beach. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's not actually concurrent, but, like... Well, I think they wanted that, though, right? They wanted people to wonder, oh, are these people who are going to murder in order to advance the political goals, right? They want to project a rep. Yeah, because they did say that. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think that, that that is part of it, that, that the, the uncouthness of doing it is part of it. Is that actually like a smart move, though? I feel like I you're know. definitely making an enemy of the, uh, Valerians. the Valerians, like Corliss, you know? I don't know. That's kind of something I'm very interested to see in the next couple of episodes where they will lie. Yeah. Also, it doesn't really help the scales of like our perspective when it comes to Rhaenyra and Alicent that like all of Alicent's kids are like fucking freaks. And all of Rhaenyra's <laughs> kids are, like, normal and nice uh, brown-haired boys. Fucking Aegon's jacking off in the fucking window, and Aemon's a fucking psycho. And, like, I don't know. What's the girl's name? Helena. Um, Elena's like, telling the future and shit. Because Aemon's like, oh, I want a dragon. And she's like, oh, you're going to lose an eye or some shit. You know, like the episode before. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Someone's, like, talking about the window where, like... Aegon's jacking off into the air. It's like, yo, that window's seen enough. Because <laughs> that's also the window that, uh, what's-his-face, jumps Tommen out of. Tommen jumps out of? Um, Tommen, Tommen, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. really? It's the same window, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Man, the other thing about this show is, like, it does also raise, like, topical human issues. Like, the constant emphasis on the difficulties of childbirth and women dying in childbirth and like all of that is so relevant to what's going on right now today in the world and i just think that that's like something that's really cool and that you're not getting from 
some of the other fantasy shows on television or whatever, right? Like, it's really, really relevant and right there in your face and really brutal. And I think it's important. I also think that, like, contributes to a lot of baby brain people watching the show and, like, criticizing it for its, like, misogyny and, like, the depiction of childbirth. It's like, oh, I don't want to see that, especially during this time where women's rights are being taken away i'm arguing that maybe this is like the perfect time to maybe not watch something like this because like if you're triggered by it obviously you shouldn't watch it but like you can't be like oh if you watch house of the dragon then you're like a bad person or whatever you know like it's definitely a purposeful commentary on what's going on in the real world and it's a pointed one too and i feel like a lot of people are just kind of missing the point there a thousand percent and like i get that people might not want to watch that i was pretty surprised i was reading just random people's thoughts on the first episode. And a lot of people were really turned off. Emma's death. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Non-consensual C-section. I don't even know what you call that. But a lot of people were really turned off by that and couldn't watch it. And I get that. Um, but I think yeah. it is a mistake to see that as like the show rubbing it in your face for cruelty's sake as opposed to making a point. Because they are making a point with it. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. This is not just for no reason. Yeah. Show's great. Liking it a lot. One of the best things about it is just coming online and reading all the memes and stuff the hours after the show ends. I fucking love it. Someone wrote, I can hold two truths. Allison Hightower has been failed and abused by every single person in her life and deserves our sympathy. And two, Allison Hightower would be really mad about student loan forgiveness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the memes are always very good with this show. I mean, I don't know. I'm glad to hear that you're finding a lot of people are watching it. Because I don't know that many people who are keeping up with it religiously, so I'm glad that you know part of the like millions of people who are keeping up with it. Because I think it's definitely better than the Lord of the Rings Ring of Power, right? Yeah. I mean, it's appointment viewing for sure. Like, my wife and I watch it every Sunday. Yeah, same. And then pick up my kid from daycare. I'm talking to other parents about it and stuff. So everyone's watching it. But when I bring up Rings of Power, it's either what's that or like, eh, I wasn't really into it, you know? Yeah. But are you guys caught up with Rings of Power? I've mentioned last week I had not watched any episodes after episode two, and that is still true. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a bit behind, not as far behind as Derek. I finished four. I still have to watch five and six. Yeah. The show just has yet to win me over, especially because the source material is so good in in the original Tolkien writings. And there's already a good adaptation in the Jackson stuff. So it's just uh, not an adaptation of this part of the material specifically, but... it's just, it's difficult. I'm having a, a tougher time with it than I would have liked, considering I like Tolkien yeah. and I like fantasy and stuff. Six is pretty good. Still kind of pales in comparison to House of the Dragon. I just think this House of the Dragon show is really doing a lot on all fronts. It's talking about, like, patriarchy and misogyny and, like, women to bodily autonomy. And it inserts, like, race without being, like, obnoxious about it and even doing it for purposes that, like, help the story. Drawing, like, all of these really complex, interesting characters and, like, it's just... I really think that they're hitting on all cylinders. I really love what they're doing. I'm excited to see the next three, and uh, I'm sad that the show's going to be over soon, right? We finished episode seven. We just have eight, nine, and ten left, right? Yeah. Um, what do you guys think about reusing the Game of Thrones theme song? I do not like it. I, I don't, don't like I, it either. I don't love it either. <laughs> I wish they just did a Their tiny thing. tweak. <laughs> just like a tweak on it. You can use it, but just tweak it a little. Just don't do the exact same thing. Yeah. No, okay. My thing is that it uses the same song, which I think is fine. I just think to come from like one of the most inventive intros to a show in the last ever, to go from that to this pale comparison that's boring and that's like not really telling me anything. 
I think that's my problem with it, right? So like, I agree the uh, House of the Dragons opening credits is nowhere near as good as the Game of Thrones one, which is, I think, iconic. Mm-hmm. But I do think the House of the Dragons opener does mean something. Do you know what it is? Do you get what that is? Because I feel like people just tune it out. I kind of tune it out too. I'm just like, oh, it's like a bunch of blood, like whatever. So those are like the branches of the Targaryen family tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I realize that. Okay. Yes, I got that. But I guess what I'm saying is that what was so iconic about the intro of Game of Thrones for me, it was that it evolved and it also told me something, right? How the world was ever changing. This is just a line of succession, right? It's like history versus- It's going to change. It's going to change. Damon's going to be on every branch in (laughs) every new season, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And like it even changed mid season. It wasn't stagnant. Well, the Game of Thrones one like changed if a house was down or if like someone moved from some location to another, the intro would change. I can't see how this one's going to do that. Like it doesn't seem like, yes, maybe like at one point Rainier might die. You know, I'm just like hypothetically Rainier might die and then you can cut that out of the intro, but it's still pretty stagnant. I've gone to the point where I skip the intro now. Like I used to never do that with Game of Thrones. And I now instantly hit that skip intro because I know it's nothing special and it's nothing that I need to see now. I agree with you. And I think that stinks because I do think they're trying to do something cool with it and they just didn't pull it off. Yeah. I do think the idea behind it is cool. When it was explained to me, I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But it just doesn't hit the same. Mm-hmm. I want to echo all of your guys' thoughts. I think this show's great. Appointment viewing, I'm just looking forward to the next three episodes. We are not at the end of the season yet. I think one of the things I always looked forward to for Game of Thrones was always the really big action set piece. And I mean, I think they kind of tried with, you know, the crab feeder episode, but like, I don't think that was it for me. So like, I'm still hoping that there maybe will be this big action set piece that we're going to get. The battle lines are being drawn. So something's coming up. Yeah. And I think the budget is affording them something big too, because the show is big. A lot of people are watching it. And I don't think you're going to have, like, a problem like Game of Thrones did, where, like, the first couple of seasons, they didn't have the budget to do any big battles, even though they wanted to. I remember, like, they had clever ways of cutting around the big battles in, like, the first two seasons, you know, like, (laughs) Peter Dinklage getting knocked out and, like, waking up and the battle's over and shit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm hoping we'll get something big and exciting. But even if we don't this season, that's fine, too, because no, yeah, what we're getting so far is fucking great. And that's just another aspect we didn't even talk about is the budget and the production and how great everything looks. All the costumes look great. Yeah. The dragons look great. I think they've really just outdone themselves overall. Yeah. I think some of the wigs are a little shaky, but uh, – Yes, the wigs are very It's rough. cool. <laughs> <laughs> Especially like the Valerian like blonde. Those wigs look pretty rough a lot. Yeah, time. yeah. I'll give you that. But – um, I think a lot of the costuming is great. The CGI looks good. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's another aspect where you do see the difference between this and Game of Thrones. Like, they, they have the budget to do these kind of things. Compare the tournament in this one to the original tournament, to the to that first tournament. Oh, yeah. my God, Thrones, absolutely. Right? Or, like, the hunt in the woods compared to, like, the hunt in the woods Game of Thrones, which is, like, three guys talking versus, like, you know, the whole household going on this hunt in this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really does sell the idea of, like, an earlier golden age of Targaryen, like, power versus, like, you know, I don't know, a, a, the degraded uh, Baratheon monarchy of uh, the original Game of Thrones, which is yeah. just coincidental, right? It just happens to be that this show is following that first one and thus has more budget given the success of the first one. But it, it's, it's just, it, it just it works out well energetically, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, unless you guys have anything else, that will conclude this week's episode. 
Uh, Jeff, where can people find more of your work? You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com, and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors. What about you guys? Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, not at Strange Harbors, but I'm going to be following Jeff's account so I can see all the House of the Dragon memes. <laughs> what, about, <laughs> what about you, Derek? Uh, you can find me at The World's Okay's Photos and Speed Angels Guild on Instagram. But if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other popular podcast apps. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do us a favor and give us a great rating. It really helps to get our podcasts out to more people. Yeah, if any of your questions, comments, suggestions on our episode on House of the Dragon, feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. Sometimes we like reading out listener mail on the pod, so feel free to do that. And with that, we will see you guys next week. See you next week, everybody. See you guys then.